0: Welcome to Next Education Workforce, a podcast on redesigning education for learners and educators. I'm Brent Madden, Executive Director of Next Education Workforce at Arizona State University's Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College. I'm so excited to be joined today by Dr. Cassandra Herring, President and CEO of the Branch Alliance for Educator Diversity. The startup that she incubated for a year as Dean in Residence at Deans for Impact. Branch Ed is a national effort to prepare highly effective, diverse educators for all learners. I can't wait for you to hear about how her passion for culturally relevant educator preparation fuels her work. I, I am so thrilled to have you here today. Uh, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: We talk about this big idea of a next education workforce as a way to bring teams of adults around groups of students and that the roles of teachers, educators, may not look the way that they always have. And that in some ways, this is a way to build more pathways into the profession, a way to diversify the profession. While all that sounds well and good on its surface, Some have raised this question of who's going into the profession and what roles they're serving. It matters, and we need to be paying attention to it. I'd love to just hear your thoughts, Dr. Herring, as it relates to a goal around diversifying the educator workforce, but doing so in a responsible way.
1: Well, I'm excited about this opportunity to rethink and re-envision the teacher workforce in our country. I think we have to acknowledge that we haven't gotten to the place that we want to get with models of the past. And if that place is a teacher workforce that is as diverse and reflects the diversity of the student body, then we have to admit we are far behind in actually achieving parity. Teacher diversity matters for all of the reasons that research has shown in terms of counter-stereotypical figures being able to combat the bias uh, that's developed, uh, stereotypes that have developed in our society. It matters for young people to have strong role models, teachers who use their insider knowledge to create spaces of belonging within learning environments, even a variety of cultural and linguistic and economic perspectives and experiences that are helping to inform how we build systems and structures, right, in education. So it's exciting to me to think that we're not going to settle for the somewhat homogeneous population of educators that we've had in the past particularly as our population is becoming increasingly diverse as it relates to sort of re-envisioning what the teacher workforce could look like I'm excited to think about what are the pathways into the profession so being able to think about not just traditional and alternative which we often think of as dichotomous but really sort of turning that on its head and thinking about other ways to both attract prepare and retain individuals in the profession That, I think, is exciting. And I think even with the rise of alternative programs, we've seen that there's been an impact on diversifying the workforce. In general, as states have taken on diversifying the teacher workforce, we've seen that we can move the needle when there's intentionality. And uh, what I'm excited about is that intentionality is married with a commitment to not lower standards. We can't do that for our children. The other thing, though, that I will say in thinking about these new models is that we can't build a new model that inadvertently takes us backwards or that somehow channels those those individuals of color into roles that are not the leadership role at the front of the classroom. I think we have to be intentional there as well in ensuring that multiple pathways this team of individuals that are supporting young people that it's representative but also that the structures in which those folks are deployed are diverse at every level.
0: What are the sort of in in some ways, systems that we need to be building to ensure that there's actually equitable, diverse representation, not just in some segment of that workforce, a new next education workforce, but across say, a continuum of educator roles, especially when we take something as complicated as the job of teaching and begin to, like, tease that apart and to allow people to have distributed expertise, how do we ward against exactly what you're describing, that some segment of the educators end up being more diverse than, say, the entirety?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we have to go back to the challenges and experiences that we've had around pathways. I think we have to acknowledge what are some of those systemic barriers that are keeping candidates of color out of the profession and how do we solve for that, right? So it's not just naming the problem, but it's solving for that. I'll give you a for instance. Teacher residencies seems like a really good positive model for how we should prepare teachers. The reality is that candidates of color, candidates from low-income backgrounds, all of the demographic groups, particularly that BranchEd works to engage, have challenges around not working for a year. Certainly, programs can build models of residency programs that are philanthropically supported. And what we have learned from that is when the philanthropic dollars go, the programs close, right? And so in that realm, as we're thinking about residency programs, particularly university-based residency programs, which we were really excited about, beginning with a sense of sustainability, how do we build a program that can last? So that it truly is an avenue for diverse candidates to access the, the profession. How do we stand that up in a way that truly there's equitable access and it will persist beyond sort of an influx of dollars? Those are the kinds of sort of pathway questions or pathway lessons that I hope we've learned. So as we talk about sort of unbundling the teacher role or thinking about additional roles that might be available to support learners, that we're thinking about each of those pathways and the questions of access, the questions of cost, even the ability to move through those different roles, right? So if you start one place, does that mean you're locked into that role forever? Or are there opportunities to sort of grow up in the educational role in support of student learning? I think those are the kinds of questions we want to ask, and we want to think about incentives for doing so, as well as pathways.
0: Are there any places that come to mind that are, are getting at the sustainability of a residency program in the way that you're describing?
1: Well, I mean, I think we're seeing interesting things with opportunity culture that is really leaning in around, you know, how do we take existing budgets within um, K-12 school districts I'm excited about the opportunity to marry that with teacher prep residency models and then together think about how are we staffing classrooms with, again, multiple instructors, right? But doing it in a way that's redeploying existing resources and not at the whims of philanthropic dollars or other external dollars that may at some point not be there. So I think we can think creatively and that's happening in California, it's happening in Texas. We can think creatively about the dollars and the systems and the structures that we have and how we can redeploy to get this model in place. And and let me just say, I have to punctuate here the power of partnership. Right. If this was K-12 trying to solve by itself or higher ed trying to solve by itself, we would never get there. This is happening because there's a conversation around how can we solve together? How can we deploy our human and financial resources together and keep being young people, K-12 learners at the center of what it is that we're all trying to accomplish and serve
0: here? I love that. And I love the work that Opportunity Culture is doing. And we find inspiration uh, from them every day at some of the work that we're doing here at the Teachers College by creating a paid senior year residency, full year residency. But that was done, again, back to your point around partnership, uh, in concert with the the local K-12 districts, again, trying to create a sustainable path. And you know, in doing this work, we have bumped up against these uh, political hurdles. So in the work that you're seeing, if you could pick up a magic wand and change some of the policy that exists either at the the national, state, or local levels, that could be getting in the way of the the exact sort of experiences that are increasing uh, the diversity of educator workforce, like what would you change? What would you flick with your magic wand to make different?
1: I mean, I think there's no magic bullet, and I wish there was one or two or three policies that we could change that would give us an entirely different um, reality. I think what I might suggest is that there's almost a change in stance, that innovation and experimentation around these new models is incentivized not just to the teacher prep program, but to the district as well, right? I think oftentimes when we talk about pathways or we talk about changes in teacher prep, you know, I want to cheer for those districts that say, yes, we will charge the summit with you. But the return on that is typically more, you know, long-term. They hope to hire these new graduates, but immediately there's not a lot of incentive for districts to lean in, to innovate, to try to work with teacher prep. And so I think certainly the stance around innovation, the stance around incentivizing those strong partnerships that move beyond that transactional placement of student teachers and are much more like mutually engaged, mutual planning, execution, evaluating, on that execution is certainly the model of partnership that we at BranchEd like. I think the other thing that I will say about the teacher diversity issue, I think there's far too much focus only on recruitment. To the extent that in some places I feel like it's what carrot can we dangle and far less accountability and focus on what happens during preparation. How are preparation programs hospitable spaces for candidates of color to prepare for the profession? And then what are those bridges to in service and the pathways in in service in which they can excel? I think the focus on recruitment only, the focus on selection only at the level of entry into teacher prep. Is short-sighted. I think we have to begin to think about what are those through lines to preparing equity-empowered, high-quality educators in general and for uh, candidates of color in particular.
0: You know, a number of deans and professors in colleges of education are listening to this podcast. Get specific for them. What sorts of things would you be describing that would allow them to build together as a community environments that are more hospitable to uh, a far more diverse set of rookie educators.
1: We've got to move beyond having the right words in our mission statements. You know, I can't tell you how many colleges of ed say social justice or equity focused educators and, you know, branch ed does critical friend visits to campuses where we are that sort of external set of eyes that looks under the hood at programs. And quite honestly, we can see all the right words on the mission statement on the website, but it's not visible in the curriculum. It's not visible in where candidates are placed, the intentionality around diverse, authentic experiences in contexts where candidates are required to interact with people who don't look like them. I think there are systems and structures around the curriculum, around faculty practice. You know, how many faculty are in fact modeling inclusive instruction, intentionally making their instructional moves explicit around equity. Where does diversity and equity come up in conversations between the sort of the field placement office and cooperating teachers? What is the nudge there for cooperating teachers to make some of their equity considerations explicit on behalf of candidates? How are we holding ourselves accountable for that? I think we have for too long felt like quality educator preparation is, you know, we don't have to talk about language and economics and culture and other aspects of diversity. Good teaching is good teaching. Yes, and what we know from the literature around belonging Cognitive science and in other fields, it's in the literature, is that student identity matters. So how are we preparing all candidates to really leverage the differences in identity as an asset to learning, not as a necessary evil? There is the literature that says that that is the feeling among in-service teachers is that diversity is a necessary evil. How can we flip that on its head and talk about it being an academic necessity, an absolute powerful lever? learning and creating, preparing our faculty first, our ed prep faculty first, to help model how our candidates can create K-12 learning spaces that are inclusive, that welcome in families and communities and individual local context within the classroom as a lever for learning. It can be done, but we have to be bold enough to move beyond the talking points and to dig in and really begin to explore those opportunities in the curriculum and clinical experiences and faculty practice in how we use data not just for accreditation and state approval, but how we internally dis- disaggregate data on university campuses in ed prep to think about the impact that we're making even on our diverse candidates in general.
0: First of all, everyone is on this continuum with respect to th- th- their own personal growth uh, relative yeah. to diversity, equity, inclusion. Mm-hmm. Our sneaking suspicion is that that work maybe becomes more possible and maybe accelerated by bringing teams of educators together as opposed to this sort of siloed Uh, egg-created model of schooling, right? Like 30 30 kids, a teacher, you shut the door, you're kind of there, you know, at a secondary model, you got that and the kids just are rotating through. But rather, if you've got a team of educators coming together around a group of students, Mm -hmm. that the conversations that you're having about equity are, by their very definition, less siloed. Do you buy this? Do you see... Uh, sort of a possibility of uh, accelerating our work relative to diversity, equity, inclusion, by bringing teams of educators together around a, a common group of students? I'm cheering
1: for that, right? Like that would be the hope. I certainly think that could be the promise, but just because we're co-located doesn't mean that we're having the right conversation. Just because we have an opportunity for voice doesn't mean that we're exercising our voice in the ways in which, again, diversity is framed as an asset. Identity and difference is framed as an asset. Yes, there could be more opportunity for that conversation to happen. I think there still has to be intentionality around equip- equipping that set of educators with the language, with the mindsets, habits of mind to bring to the table and school leaders for creating an environment that has those enabling conditions for those conversations to occur. So I would say, yes, I think it's a step in the right direction, but I don't think we can feel like it's the magic bullet that's going to get us all the way there. I think we still have to intentionally focus on preparing and creating the conditions for those
0: conversations to happen. I love it because it's about doing the work. Exactly. (laughs) What should we be reading or viewing What's got your attention these days?
1: Yeah, amazing book um, called Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, where she talks about the historical legacy of systems and structures of racism in our society. And I think if we come to a place of understanding how we got here, then, you know, what does it say? If If you know your history, then, you know, you stand a better chance of not repeating it the book cast is rich. It takes some time to digest, but it absolutely increases our awareness, increased my awareness. And what I'll say to that is everybody's got work to do. (laughs) You know, white supremacist culture is what is the water we swim in if we were fish. And so we all have a learning curve here. And I think to continually try to expand our own understanding, to read the book with a group of folks, to have those conversations about how you interacted with it, uh, where it pushed your thinking, where you want to push back, I think is a powerful opportunity for learning. And we're educators, right? Shouldn't we continue to be learning?
0: I love this. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your commitment to students and to educators across this country. It's just been so great to be with you today. And uh, thanks for sharing with, uh, with our audience.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: That was Dr. Cassandra Herring, President and CEO of the Branch Alliance for Educator Diversity. She's a featured expert at our upcoming Next Education Workforce convening. I hope you join us in January to continue this conversation. Check the show notes for details and registration link. I'll also include a link to Branch Ed's website and Twitter handle so you can learn more about their work. Thanks so much for listening. You can share this episode or your feedback with the hashtag NextEducationWorkforce. For now, be well, be safe, keep learning. Until next time.